Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team. The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1-2 pitch to Abrams. Swing and a ground ball. Base hit right field. Here comes the winning run call. He'll score. They're going to mob Abrams around first as the Nationals beat the Braves 3-2 in 10 innings. They catch Abrams out near second base. They're mobbing him out of the outfield grass as the Nationals deal the Braves a costly loss in their quest for a fifth straight NL East title. C.J. Abrams is the hero. His first career walk-off hit. A clean ground ball single in the right field to deliver the winning run. And welcome to Nash Chat for Thursday, September 29th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Tuesday was the eighth anniversary of the Jordan Zimmerman no-hitter, his uh, unforgettable no-hitter of the Miami Marlins on the final day of the 2014 Regular season capped, of course, by the unforgettable catch of Steven Souza Jr. Tuesday also was the 11th anniversary of maybe the single greatest day in MLB history. September 28th, 2011, a day that has come to be known as Game 162. It was the final day of the 2011 regular season, a day that featured like an avalanche of incredible occurrences. I don't know if September 28th, 2022 will go down like September 28th, 2014, or September 28th, 2011. But September 28th, 2022, ended up being a good day for the Nats. A 3-2, 10-inning walk-off win over the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park to avoid a three-game sweep and to knock the Braves out of a first-place tie with the New York Mets in the National League East. The Mets now have a one-game lead on the Braves atop the division. And the Nats won this game thanks to two key pieces in the rebuild. Shortstop C.J. Abrams and starting pitcher Josiah Gray. And Mark, you know, it wasn't just the what for the Nats on Wednesday night. It also was the who. And it was nice to see the who that did the what for the Nats. We've talked all year about this, Al, about it's really about the who is doing it more so than what the results are. So when it comes together like this, and it's two of the most important who's in the long picture for this franchise that come through and deliver in a big game against a playoff team that's 
trying everything it can do to win this game and stay in first place in the division as we head to the final week of the season. That, to me, stands out and it makes this one of the most significant wins of the year for this team. Really good stuff from both of them in this game. Josiah Gray, six really strong innings, one run, two hits to a very good Braves lineup, as we know. And the way he went about it, I liked as well, which we'll get to as we break down his start. And C.J. Abrams, we keep seeing more and more of this, what he's truly capable of offensively. He's not hitting for power, but that's all right. He puts the bat on the ball. He's coming through in some big spots. It's a three-hit night, and to deliver, you know, that was the Nats' first hit since the fourth inning. (laughs) The walk-off hit in the 10th, they did not have a hit since the fourth inning, and he delivered it at the exact right moment to win him a game. And so as we look into the future, you can look at nights like this and say, this is where young building blocks came through in a big spot, and maybe that does mean something in the long run when we look back on how this all came together. Nats went like two hours of real time without a hit in this game. This was similar to what we had the previous game where the Nats were good over the first few innings and then just like shut down offensively the rest of the game. So for C.J. Abrams on Wednesday night, your Nats starting shortstop and number two batter. It's been nice to see him moved up in the lineup here lately. Abrams three for five with a walk-off RBI single and two other singles. Abrams in an Nats one run first and opposite field single on a slow roller through the left side of the infield. Abrams in an Nats one run third, a one out opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. And then Abrams in a one run 10th walk-off two out RBI single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-2 Nats win. Like you said, he's not hitting for much power. That is true. But he is racking up hits. And, you know, like the automatic out that C.J. Abrams was over his first few weeks at the major league level for the Nats is no more. And, you know, he kind of slowly but surely is getting his act together here as an offensive player, and we're seeing him go the opposite way. We're seeing him deliver hits in counts in which, you know, he is down 1-2-0-2. And you look at C.J. Abrams in the month of September, he has an OPS for this month of 724. You know, it's not like setting the world on fire, but it's a lot better than what he had been doing. And that was an impressive plate appearance for him that resulted in the walk-off single. Yeah, it's a one-two pitch. It's a changeup. It's actually down below the knees. He still gets a bat on it and puts good contact on it. He has really good bat-to-ball skills, as we've said. Sometimes he gets into trouble because he's too good at it, and he swings and makes contact on a pitch that's not good to hit, and he hits a weak pop-up or a ground ball. So he knows he's got to work on that somewhat, but he felt like in that spot, two strikes, two outs, winning run on third. You do have to protect the plate. You make contact anything you can and hope you can get it through the infield. So that was a really nice piece of hitting by him. He's batting second in this game. He's done that for a few games now. I think we're seeing finally Davey Martinez showing some confidence in him that maybe in the long run, he could be somebody who hits near the top of the lineup. So that's nice to see him do that. I also want to talk about what happened the previous at bat in the eighth inning because it did set the tone for what eventually came. Faces C.J. Abrams. First pitch is tapped back towards Minter off the mound. Third base side of the hill. Plants and throws wide. Safe at first is Abrams. And immediately, Olsen, the first baseman who had a lunge for the throw, came off the bag. Dove with his glove to tag it, pointed to the dugout to review that play. And they're going to. And Abrams slowed down, conceding the out. He was called safe at first, but as we know, in this series, if you're called safe at first base, chances are you're actually out because this was the fifth overturned call at first base in the last two days, which is just remarkable. Anyways, if he's hustling down the line the whole way, it's not even a close call. He's safe. 
Afterwards, he got an earful from Davey Martinez in the dugout. He knew he had screwed up. He admitted it. He said, I'm never going to let it happen again. And how does he respond? Two innings later, the walk-off hit. So I think that's an important distinction here for a 21-year-old who has a moment that gets chewed out by his manager for and could have let that simmer with him and affect him in a negative way. And instead, he comes back two innings later with a really clutch hit in a big spot showing good poise at the plate. Yeah, that play in the bottom of the eighth was a bad look. And if Abrams doesn't come through with the walk-off single on Wednesday night, that play in the eighth really becomes like the headline item from the night for C.J. Abrams. And what also made the play even worse of a look was that you had Matt Olson diving to first base for the out. So it was like, you know, the juxtaposition of C.J. Abrams lollyganging it down the first base. And here's Olsen humping it to get to first base to get the put out there. So yeah, that was a bad look, but you know, hopefully lesson learned and CJ Abrams ended up coming through. And then Josiah Gray, and I mean, go figure Josiah Gray. He had been bad in each of his previous four starts. The start that ends up ending the string of four consecutive bad starts is a start against one of the best hitting teams in baseball, the Atlanta Braves. I mean, you talk about baseball making no sense. That makes no sense. But you know, Josiah Gray has done well against the Braves in the past. And boy, did he do well on Wednesday night, although kind of in a different way. So one run in six innings. I mean, you love that. He only gave up two hits, a home run and a single. He issued two walks. He only had two strikeouts, so he was not dominant. He threw 85 pitches, 55 strikes versus 30 balls. But the only damage off Gray was that home run, a one-out solo homer by Matt Olson on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the second to tie the game at one. So, okay, that was unfortunate, but the rest of his outing was not. And he navigated the best home run hitting offense in the National League by miles really well. Gray had not looked good for a while here. He looked very good on Wednesday night. Yeah, there's a lot of things to put together from this one uh, that I think are important, not just in how he did tonight, but how it can show him how he can be successful down the road. He actually hadn't faced the Braves since April. It's kind of weird. He just had not lined up with them along the way. And remember, they gave him some extra time between starts, maybe tried to avoid that matchup a little bit, but he proved more than capable of handling them in this one. So he starts off the game like he usually does, throwing a lot of four-seam fastballs. The home run came on one of those on an 0-2 pitch. Next thing you know, and we've seen him do this before, he ditches the fastball. He goes slider and curveball heavy, and he starts throwing the sinker that he has started to add to his repertoire the last few times. And what he did was he threw strikes with them all. He induced pretty much weak contact, and he trusted his defense to make outs. They had a fantastic defensive game behind him. After one night ago, such an awful game, we wondered, well, was that a sign of anything or was that just a blip? Thankfully, it was a blip because they helped him out a lot, especially on the left side of the infield. But what you saw him do is prove, yes, he has the ability to win games by striking out 10, 11 batters. He also now sees he can be successful throwing strikes, getting quick outs, trusting your defense, only two strikeouts in this game. And lo and behold, the pitch count's only 85 after six. Now, Davey pulled him after six because it's late in the year, no reason to push him, let him leave on a high note, all that stuff. But in the long run, he gets out that quickly, he's going to have the opportunity to go deeper in games. And I think that's an important lesson that he gets from this one. And just to go back to the idea of the start that ends the four consecutive bad starts is a start against the Braves. I mean, you look at those four straight bad starts. Yes, one of them was a game at the Mets, but one of them was a game at St. Louis in a game in which he gave up, remember, two home runs to Yadier Molina. 
And then the other two starts were against the Miami Marlins, who are one of the weakest hitting teams in the majors. So it's just so funny that it's this game against the Braves that ends up being it. I know the Nats have got to piece together a lot these next few days in terms of pitching, but because Gray did so well and did well against a really good team, do you think that the Nats will make this his final start of the season? So Davey laughed when he was asked about it after the game, and, and he said, like, boy, he's making it tough for us, isn't he? <laughs> because the tendency, they want to shut him down. That's been their plan all along. They really want to be careful. But when he pitches well like this, you say, okay, maybe he's got one more in him. Or do you say, hey, let's let him leave on a high note like George Costanza, heading into the offseason feeling really good about himself, six solid innings against the Braves. The problem here is it's a couple of things. One, we've talked about there are still question marks about their rotation. They have not announced anything so far for the weekend against the Phillies. They're still waiting to see about Kat Corbin, still waiting to see about Mackenzie Gore. But then on top of that, now there's a huge weather question for the weekend as the hurricane, which, you know, let's be honest here. Right now, the most important thing is everybody in Florida and the damage they're suffering. But there is going to be a residual effect of this over the next several days. The storm's going to impact the entire East Coast. The weekend forecast looks awful up here, particularly Saturday and Sunday, until the Nationals know or at least have a better sense of when these games are going to be played, how many are going to be played. I don't think they can make any decisions with their pitching staff. And so I think they have to keep Josiah ready to make another start because it could happen, whether it's coming up. I guess he wouldn't be ready by this weekend, but next week against the Mets. Or God forbid, if everybody has to come back here next Thursday to face the Phillies again because they couldn't get 162 done in time, there's just a lot of moving parts here. So I don't think they're ready to make that call on him as much as they wish they could just say, hey, great job, kid. Go spend the offseason. We'll see you in uh, West Palm Beach. Well, Josiah Gray's ERA for the season is now at 502. So if you care about stats, you could say, well, one more good outing. He can get that thing under five. That would be kind of nice. I would just say this about this upcoming series against the Phillies. I don't know why in the world you wouldn't move the doubleheader to Friday. I mean, that to me is a no-brainer. Why that is even like in debate is to me kind of ridiculous. You have a game scheduled for Friday night, day-night doubleheader Saturday, and then a game on Sunday afternoon. The forecast for Saturday and Sunday looks really bad. Friday actually looks decent. The Galdi family is headed to the pumpkin patch on Friday afternoons, okay? <laughs> so we're trusting the forecast. But why wouldn't you just move the doubleheader or move one of the games from the doubleheader, I guess you'd say, to Friday? And you play at least two games on Friday and then hope to get at least one game over Saturday and Sunday. And maybe you do get in two games. Who knows? But, like, I don't know why you have to wait on moving this doubleheader thing. Like, just do the darn thing on Friday because that seems like a pretty easy call. I think it's the most likely outcome and everybody acknowledges that. I think MLB just wants to wait through the night, see what the track of the storm is. You know, sometimes these things veer in other directions. You don't want to move a game and then have it turn out that, oh, actually Friday is the worst forecast, you know? So I, I think they want to be cognizant of that and wait as long as you reasonably can before making that decision. My guess would be at some point Thursday, we are going to hear for sure what they're doing. And it does seem to make sense to schedule two for Friday and then hope you get the other two in at some point over the weekend. But the uh, Mets and the Braves are playing three games in Atlanta. They could be impacted by this as well. 
that is a race right down to the wire. Then the Nats go to New York, of course. That could still be an issue by Monday. It could still be a problem in New York, the rain. And then, like I said, if the Phillies have not wrapped this thing up and they aren't able to get all four games in this weekend, there is absolutely the possibility that they would be forced to come back down here and play another game after the season's supposed to be over. I also would say this too, if you're only going to do one game on Saturday, don't schedule it for Saturday night and then have the potential for the weather to be decent for a chunk of Saturday day. And then you have to try to fit this thing in on Saturday night. Baseball makes that mistake sometimes. Like schedule it for, I don't know, one o'clock on Saturday, three o'clock on Saturday. I know there are maybe some television restrictions, but give yourself some real estate with which to operate with this unpredictable weather instead of saying, well, we have to do our Saturday night thing and then all day can pass and maybe there's a window during the day to get the game in. So we'll see what they do. But I would think that that would make the most sense with Saturday. But who knows? Just because something makes sense doesn't mean that it's actually done by MLB as we have come to learn. Yeah. Well, let's just make sure, though, the number one consideration for MLB to take in all this is that the Galdi family gets to go to the pumpkin patch. Okay, we cannot impact that family gathering. That's really important. I understand. That's happening. Although I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't mind if that got cut short. Okay, I'll just just between you and me. I'm sure your wife isn't listening to this right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Menezes' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tied 2-2 here in the top of the ninth. Finnegan sets. 1-1 to Contreras. Half swing to bouncer to the right side. A roller. Garcia to his left has it. He straightens and throws to Manessis and the side retired. No runs. One hit. The strikeout. The man left. Well, a few other things from this Nats win on Wednesday night. So, great job by Kyle Finnegan. Man, two scoreless innings. He tossed a scoreless top of the ninth and a perfect top of the tenth. And the perfect top of the tenth came against the Braves' numbers one through three batters. Ronald Acuna Jr., Dansby Swanson, and Michael Harris II. Davey Martinez on Wednesday night used three relievers. Uh, They combined to allow one run unearned in four innings. Hunter Harvey, a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts. Carl Edwards Jr. in the top of the eighth allowed an unearned run to tie the game at two. I want to get to that in a moment here. Uh, Edwards, you know, he's been a little shaky as the season is coming to its end here. Edwards on Wednesday night gave up a double, a single, and a walk. He overall has been good, but he is putting some guys on base. But man, Finnegan really coming through for the Nats with those two scoreless innings on Wednesday night. That was huge. And and really the key to it was that he got through the ninth inning on nine pitches. And that's what allowed him to come back for the 10th and face the top of their lineup. And, you know, with the automatic runner on second base, we know how awful the Nats have been in these extra inning situations, four and 18 over the last two years, now five and 18 with this win. So you're putting an automatic runner on second. He's coming back out for a second inning work. He's facing Acuna, Swanson, and Harris. And there really wasn't even like a sniff of, uh, oh, they're going to score the the go-ahead run there. Runner advanced on the fly out to right field, but not really anything in that inning that was like harrowing for Finnegan. So really good stuff from him. Remember, he had a couple of shaky outings a couple of weeks ago and we thought, oh boy, maybe he's fading again here in September. No, he's actually finishing pretty strong. So I thought that was big because I'm thinking to myself, if this game continues, who do they have now out of the bullpen? You've burned up your three top guys to try to get to this point. So good on Finnegan for having two innings in him and coming through like that. It was unfortunate that the game went to extra innings to begin with. So Luis Garcia on Wednesday night had what you call an unfortunate error. And not unfortunate because, well, he screwed up at a bad time. Unfortunate because I hate the fact that he got charged with this error. So it was a one-run Braves eighth. Garcia got charged with a crucial throwing error, but it wasn't so simple. Yet a runner on second, two outs, and the Nats nursing a 2-1 lead. Here's the set. And now the pitch, swinging the ground ball, right side toward the middle. Diving stop, Garcia. From his knees, the throw to first one. Hop off the glove of Manessis. Breaking for the plate and scoring is Swanson. And the game is tied. Garcia gets charged with the throwing error. Now, I know that we're not all invested in errors anymore. I get that. But I really can't stand that. <laughs> Luis Garcia made a really nice play. And the throw to Manessis really wasn't that bad. And this thing that's out there of like, well, you have to account for the runner advancing 90 feet and you can't assess the error to the first baseman. Yeah, you can. I think with official scoring, there is some basic common sense stuff that doesn't get applied. And like, this is one of the classic instances of that. If you watch the play, who to you screwed up defensively? Was it Luis Garcia or was it Joey Manessis? And the answer is Joey Manessis. Why isn't he charged with the error? And I know this isn't that big of a deal. But it's not an accurate representation of what happened. And the idea with stats, right, is to accurately reflect what happened in the game. I don't think Garcia getting charged with a throwing error in that spot 
accurately depicts what happened on that play. He did a good job, but he gets charged as if he did a bad job. Right. I can just tell you that 100 official scores out of 100 would make the same call because that's what they've been instructed to do. And you're right. Often common sense isn't really allowed in those situations. Yeah, I would put it more on Manessis. I don't even really put it that much on him. It was just this unfortunate thing that happened. It was a great play by Garcia to get it. I don't fault him for trying to then make the throw. It's a desperation throw, but you're trying to get the third out of the inning, prevent the tying run from scoring. Like, I get that. You go for it. Ideally, Manessis can at least knock it down, keep it in front of him to the point that the runner can't try to score on the play. Instead, it just dribbled away just enough to allow for it. You know, maybe that's one of those, uh, I'm okay with the idea of like the team error, like when there's a, a pop-up that falls in between fielders or a ball lost in the sun, stuff that's like not really an individual fielder's fault, but you don't want to credit the guy with a hit either. Go for the team error, whatever it might be. I suppose the other part of it would be, in theory, Garcia, after making the great stop, could have thought better of it and just held the ball and not made the throw. And now the runner has to stay. But like I said, I actually, I like his decision to go for the desperation throw there. I think that was a situation that it was worth trying for and it just didn't work out. And it, it is unfortunate because it looked for a while there like that might cost them the game. And it on a night when they played so well defensively, and it wasn't a bad defensive play that this happened on, that that could ultimately end up costing them the game. And it did cost Josiah Gray the win in the end. So that was unfortunate the way that played out. Yeah, and the fact that you say 100 official scorers out of 100 would have made the same call, I think it's part of the problem. Like, where is the common sense here, man? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You talk about, like, when there's a pop-up and an outfielder loses it in the sun, or it lands between two outfielders and neither makes a true attempt to catch it, and that goes down as a hit. Like, again, common sense. Those plays should not go down as hits. Those plays should go down as errors. If we're going to have errors, like, let's actually apply them properly. And I just get a kick out of that when that happens. But yeah, a night after the Nats had some really lackluster and casual infield defense, you had some very good infield defense on display from the Nats on Wednesday night, especially from Ildemaro Vargas, who on Wednesday night may have had the single best defensive game that any Nats player has had this season. I don't think that's like overreacting to the immediacy of what went down here. Vargas was tremendous at third base on Wednesday night. He went 0 for 4, but he had a five-star defensive game. Top of the second, Vargas on an Austin Riley leadoff ground out, a nice backhanded stab near the third baseline at the edge of the infield dirt, then fired a no-hop throw to first base in time for the out, and Vargas was falling down as he made the throw. Vargas in the top of the fifth, another nice defensive play. He on a Ronald Acuna Jr. ground out for the third out, made a diving backhanded catch of a well-hit ball, got up, and then fired to first base on one hop for the out, and credit to Joey Meneses on that play, a really nice backhanded catch of the throw. And then Vargas in the top of the seventh, another nice defensive play. Swinging a crown ball left side. Diving stop, Vargas picks it up, throws to second, and he is out. What a play by Vargas. He has done it again. And what I loved about this play was like the energy after it. Luis Garcia and Vargas running off the field. And if you're watching the game, and look, I know the Nats are terrible. It's been an awful season. But you felt it, man. There was an adrenaline with Vargas's performance. There was an energy off that play. It was awesome to see that. 
What a job by Ildemaro Vargas at third base on Wednesday night. That's what he provides. He plays the game with enthusiasm and energy, and it is infectious and it rubs off on especially those younger infielders when you see a veteran doing that. You know, he may not be peak Anthony Rendon, peak Ryan Zimmerman at third base, but he's not that far off. He's really good over there. And it does make you wonder as we think ahead to the future, could they get away with a defensive specialist at third base? I know he's hit well for them this year. I think we all kind of understand that's probably not who he is over the long run. But even if he's not that kind of hitter, could you get away with having a guy who's that good defensively? Is there enough value in that to sacrifice the offense? I I don't know. They don't have a whole lot of great options otherwise. I mean, Carter Keboom, we keep thinking is going to come back next year. I don't know if they make a move for another third baseman or not. But the more you watch Vargas play, you see the impact he can have even if he is not a huge offensive contributor, the defense and the energy that he brings, it matters and it does make a difference. And this was probably the pinnacle of that so far since he's arrived. Well, I think if you get offense from a defensive position, then you can sacrifice offense for defense at an offensive position, if that makes sense. Like if Luis Garcia ends up being a plus batter at second base, then you probably could get by with a quote unquote defensive specialist at third base. But, you know, we're not sure about Garcia at second base. And honestly, we're not sure about a lot of these guys offensively. You know, the hope is that guys like Kbert Ruiz and CJ Abrams are going to be good hitters. Uh, But, you know, we're not quite there just yet. But yeah, I mean, Vargas has been a treat to watch, especially defensively. And, you know, I don't think it's by accident that a night after a lackluster defensive game in the infield, you have a plus defensive game the following game. You know, like there probably was an increased effort and focus on, hey, let's get our act together. We're better than what we put on display on Tuesday night. And they were, especially Vargas. I mean, he put on a clinic at third base. Yeah, I think there was, whether it was spoken between them or they just understood it, like, hey, guys, we need to be better than that. And that's why we felt like it was not reflective of the way they've played defensively this year, the other night. So chances are it was just going to be a blip. But you see what a difference it makes when you don't get casual. Even on the routine plays, you don't just take your time, take a couple extra steps, pump fake, make the throw. No, treat every play like it's bang, bang, and you end up having better results. And they did that in a bunch of cases in this game. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866 866- 90 Nation, and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or locked when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. 2-1 on the way. 
Swinging a line drive left field, base hit over the leaping Swanson, and the Nationals are back in front. C.J. Abrams will cross the plate. Luke Voigt has driven in both runs for the Nationals tonight, and the Nationals lead the Braves 2-1. to one. You can always email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from our friend Rabbi Eric. He says, I'm in Poland at the moment, but haven't stopped listening to the podcast, so I'm doing my part to spread the Nats Chat legend in Central and Eastern Europe. Well, we thank you for that, Rabbi Eric. We wish you safe travels. Do you know, Mark, I mean, is there like sizable Nationals representation in Poland, in Central and Eastern Europe? I mean, I know Stan Kasten back in the day tried to spread, you know, Nationals fandom beyond just the Washington, D.C. area. I don't know if Stan ever got to Central and Eastern Europe, though. I don't know of a whole lot of baseball fans, but I'll tell you what, if you could get together an all-star team to send to Poland of guys like uh, Doug Mankiewicz, Mark Zepchinski, who are some of the others I'm thinking of have the right kind of names to uh, appeal to the polls. Uh, maybe, perhaps, you could get a little drump, a little interest over there. I don't know that there's a lot of baseball played in the old Eastern Bloc, but why not? You know, baseball is a global game. Why not try to spread it? And maybe the rabbi can help us out while he's out there. And then one more thing. So the Rochester Red Wings season is over. Their final game of the season ended up being called off due to weather. Andrew Stevenson is your MVP for the Rochester Red Wings for this season. So in a year in which it was pretty clearly communicated that the Nationals at the major league level were not all that interested in Andrew Stevenson anymore, hats off to him. He has a nice season at AAA. Now, look, you know, that's not necessarily a great sign for the Nats when a guy who you don't want at the major league level ends up being your best player at the AAA level. But we know it's a little more complicated than that. And uh, Stevenson is your 2022 MVP for the Rochester Red Wings. First of all, good on him for going there after he was uh, DFA'd late in spring training and didn't have to report there, decided to spend the year there and at any point could have walked away, but he stuck with it and he put together a good year. Now, my understanding is the nature of his contract was that by going there, he was still paid like the big league money for going. I think it was arbitration this year. So there may have been a financial incentive for him to do that as opposed to accepting a release and trying to sign elsewhere. I'll be interested to see what happens now going into next season because, like you said, there were ample opportunities if the Nationals wanted to to call him back up here. They've been fielding some guys, especially in left field, that are uh, not part of the long-term plan. If they wanted Andrew Stevenson up here, they could have done that. They chose not to, which tells you where their mind is going into the next year. So I'll be curious what he does uh, if he tries to catch on with somebody else or if he tries to stick around for another year with the organization. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast if you're in Poland or wherever you happen to be in this world of ours. Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram too, at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Do not forget first ever Nats Chat Podcast party Friday night, October 14th at 7 at Walters right across the street from Nationals Park. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. All on their feet, all around Nationals Park. The 2-1 pitch. Line to left center field. Sousa moving over. Can he get there? He makes a diving catch! He makes a diving catch! He holds on!